What's up meeples, on today's show we are chatting with another content creator within our community as we welcome Malekith Skardi. We talk about his background in gaming of both tabletop and digital, how he got into streaming his hobby, the difficulties he sometimes faces playing games whilst being colourblind, and why Ian calls him Captain Tryhard. Along with all the usual weekly news and Kickstarter campaigns, this is the podcast with Crudy Gaming Community. What's up guys, my name is Jason. And I'm Ian. And we are two game club organisers shooting the breeze about tabletop gaming. So put the kettle on, grab a brew, and let's move on to this week's episode. We have a lifelong friend of mine, um, the YouTuber Malekith Scardi, coming into the office with us today. How are you today? Uh, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm really good. Great to have you here, man. It's it's nice to have another content creator coming into the, uh, well, we'll call it a studio. <laughs> so me and Mal go way back. We went to school together, so unfortunately we've known each other for some time. I really do pity you. <laughs> that's fine. I only had to deal with him in secondary school. Oh, it's not too bad. And yeah. ever since. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the good years came before, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we've known each other for a long time. And Mal has been a YouTuber for quite some time now as well, haven't you? Uh, 10, 11 years, roughly. Yeah. It's no small feat, though. It's, it's sort of really shark-infested waters. That's that's really good, uh, good I mean, longevity. It, when, when it started, it wasn't sort of aimed at being a YouTube channel. It was, it was uh, I was playing Kerbal Space Program and Crusader Kings 2, which are both very, one's technical and one's extremely in-depth games and the people that i play around a lot online with were struggling right. and they wanted sort of some guidance and so the easiest way to provide that was well record my screen especially with Kerbal. it's like you build up a spaceship of component parts and then you have to try and escape into orbit and explore the rest of the solar system i have very limited uh knowledge of Kerbal space program i got it when it was uh when it first came out and that that game to me was just blow up minions. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. I've yeah. never been able to play it actually <laughs> properly. Yes, there, uh, there there is a certain degree of physics uh, knowledge required to really understand that it's not just strap more bigger rockets on and go faster to escape uh, the atmosphere. It literally, um, is rockets on? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty accurate to be fair. <laughs> um, but the best way of helping was to to record things and sort of show them what I was doing rather than try and describe it just through voice. And then it was sort of look around and go, oh, well, where do I put this then? I don't want to send you this giant video file to 10 different people yeah um so someone just went oh check it up on youtube and so up it went and then people outside of my friendship group started finding it and were like oh make more um okay well i'll I'll see where this goes then um i mean if you go back to the very original videos the sound quality is awful i stumble over words there's errors all over the place very much like this podcast (laughs) (laughs) no no comment (laughs) ian I don't know what you're talking about, but I have even graced two of your videos um, for what was, quite frankly, a very terrible but fun game. <laughs> Space food truck. That's the one. Yeah, that really should be a board game. Yep. Speaking of board games, mm-hmm. you've agreed to come onto the podcast today and you know what we do. We talk about board games. We love tabletop games as a whole. And I know you were also into the tabletop genre as well. Is that correct? Yeah, so can't remember exactly when, but during school years I got into um, Fantasy Warhammer originally. Whichever edition had the 
lizard men and the bretonians as the the core set you could buy testing my knowledge but i think it was probably fourth or fifth edition yeah it, it was within a month of that releasing so for anyone who's yeah. really up on when that came out they'll know exactly when i started which is more than i do um same as me don't worry <laughs> and and a few of my other friends got into it and we sort of expanded and i ended up with way too many fantasy armies but then we sort of branched out into 40k as well uh epic became a thing for a little while um nice. i never really got into blood bowl or necromunda or any other sort of side projects just because i didn't really know anybody else that played them um and i wasn't really sort of down for going into the store to play with people because they were only on special evenings and hmm. because they're not the main games um so it sort of it was a bit too much of an investment for the limited amount of play I would have got out of them. That's a fair comment. Fair comment indeed. Um, I I was kind of the same. I I was heavily into the fantasy side of things. I dabbled in the forty k as well. Um, never once, same as yourself, touched things like the Blood Bowl and stuff like that. Um, and then a few years passed, probably twelve. Um, and that's when I started realizing that there were other tabletop games out there, and you know, with the likes of the Fantasy Flights really starting to come up in the ranks with X Wing and Armada. I never really got into X Wing or Armada, but I, I've always sort of looked at them, and I'm very interested. And and knowing that Ian plays Armada was another reason that I was like, I need to go and spend lots of money on ships. Uh, there's a good fact here: is me and Mal actually got into Armada together. So I went Re- Rebellion, he went Empire. I've never beaten him. Um, <laughs> he says I went Empire. When someone just sort of goes, I'm going Rebels, you don't really get much choice in the matter. You kind of have to pick the other one. <laughs> I, yeah, I totally understand that. But at least you got the correct choice. <laughs> I, I got the easy mode for, for the early waves, at least. It's balanced out a bit now, but the early waves, the, the, it was really the Empire's game to lose. Yeah. And the rebel player definitely had to make good use of tactics. And it reminded me, the rebel original early rebel ships played very much like sort of uh, 1800s naval warfare. Sort of you got across the T of the enemy ship and try and get around behind them. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas the the Empire were just, there's the enemy, drive at them, don't have behind us. Yeah, job done. It's pretty um pretty canon though. To be fair, so that's what oh. a lot of the the films are like. Is that like, we're we're there's lots of us. We're not moving. Yeah, come at us. <laughs> we'll just release forty zillion ships. Needless to say, Mal is more tactical than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I spend a lot of my time playing strategy games. In fairness, <laughs> yeah. So is that the type of game you like? A, a good strategy style game? So I, I will play, in video games included, literally anything. But strategy games are one of the ones I come back to. Or uh, sort of shooter games but with a more tactical emphasis on mm. them. So um, a good example would be the original sort of Rainbow Six games. They're very slow paced. You plan out um, all the SWAT games. You plan out where you're going to go beforehand and then you follow the plan. Okay. Um, so anything sort of that kind of ilk is more my my go-to thing but I, I do branch out and play other stuff quite happily i'm I'm quite sort of taken away from uh like the video console sort of thing going on I, I remember back when i was playing it quite a lot there was um i'm sure it was like called homefront or dragon something or other um which was very different at the time it was very different to all the likes of call of duty and and battlefield because you could actually control other team members um, and you could, you know, you could tell them to do flanking man- maneuvers and stuff like that, um, and I loved that. And I, it actually put me off of the, you know, the first person shooters like Call of Duty and, and Battlefield. 
You'd so, um, probably love the uh, Star Wars Republic Commando, which I'm sure Ian absolutely yeah, enjoys. some of my favourite games. Same thing. You run as the leader <laughs> of the four and, and pick where you want the other three to do, you know, to perform all the manoeuvres that you need to do whilst, you know, as the level goes on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's become a bit rarer as a, a an implementation now. It's, yeah. But there's still a few around occasionally. I am, of course, I mean, just staying on the the gaming front i am genuinely really looking forward to the star wars squadron game i know we've both pre-ordered it um so yeah i think that will that'll be really good when it comes out I, i'm sort of trying to look past the fact that it is ea and that my <laughs> wallet is going to take a battering if i really want to enjoy that game but uh, i've i've been very impressed with what they're saying whether they stick to it after the battlefront is is to be seen but the the fact that they're not making you pay to unlock things other than cosmetics from what they've been saying so far is a good thing. And they've got the hot-ass support for PC players so you can have a proper joystick set up. So I'll definitely be getting it. Yes. Well, well on our way to a full squadron. So, uh, yeah, I'm, you, you may get a crossover where these guys show up on my YouTube channel if uh, anyone's interested in seeing <laughs> um, explosions and screaming. I, I pity anyone that's going to watch me playing a game. I am terrible at PC games. No, you're just terrible at gaming. Oh, well, yeah, there is that. But I'm even worse at digital game. <laughs> I'll be that sort of kamikaze pilot, if you like. I'm good at that. That's normally my role. <laughs> Me and Mal go way back with all sorts of team-based games where I think the best way to do it is I'm like the Monty Python squire. So I'll follow along and pick up all the loot everywhere and pass the good stuff to Mal. And then at the end of the matches, I'll just be the bait to find out where everyone is. Yeah, it, it's run along, carrying for a little bit, and then going, oh, I'm not sure where they are this time. Deploy the Ian. <laughs> <laughs> it's always helpful to have an Ian. Yep. <laughs> Another way where we've played lots of games recently is I was uh, I had the pleasure of being in the same um, Dungeons & Dragons group as you got into role-playing games. And obviously you've taken off far more than I have into that, that run. Um, even to the point now where you're running my main group that um, I do. But how's that been for you going forward? Uh, so it was always something that was... I had sort of a passing interest in it, and there were video games that used Dungeons & Dragons as a rule set. So I, I knew I was interested in it, but trying to find a group that played was always difficult. Um, and it was always a lot of number crunching, which I think put a lot of people off. The newest edition made it a lot more accessible and I think a lot more people have got into it um, and one of our friends invited me along to a game and was just like here come and come and try it um, I think at your suggestion yep and sort of first thing I did read the entire rule book front to back um, multiple times then show up and so I have some clue of what's going on um, and it, it it's just really interested me it's let me sort of explore uh I don't want to say the drama side of my character because at school I was horrible at drama and art or anything related <laughs> to that. Um, I think possibly YouTube's improved my sort of speech performance style of things a bit better. But I, st I still find it difficult to um, sort of role play a character. But um, it's it's improving and it's quite interesting to sort of pick up on a few character traits that aren't necessarily mine, make them the characters and then explore where that goes. Yeah, I can agree with that. As I said, the group that we're running at the moment, you've become our dungeon master for it. And um, you've decided to start streaming us as well, which is absolutely hilarious. I mean, that that's COVID's fault. We we normally play in person for the whole Corona thing. We've we've moved it on to Roll20. Um, 
and a, f a few people on my YouTube channel are like, well, you know, what's what's Dungeons and Dragons? You talk about it a bit, but you know, I've never really, really seen it because of the similar reasons for why it took me so long to get into it. So I, I asked the group, you know, would you mind if I streamed it? I can shield your names if that's what you're interested in, whatever mm. else. It's roll twenty. Um, and so now I stream the Dungeon Master's view of things, and in the the Twitch chat, uh, all of my regular <laughs> viewers can comment on how things are going because they're all in uh, Discord chat, so they can hear them. Uh, there's there's been a few interesting moments and some <laughs> what would, you would think were obvious things have been overlooked. Uh, the best the best example I can think of is walking through uh, the entrance to sort of a, a mine shaft, getting ambushed by some secret doors to the sides. Uh, they got too wounded after winning the fight, retreated back out, came back the next day, didn't bother to check those exact same doors, <laughs> and got ambushed again from the same place. You underestimate my stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, like, obviously, it's it's a pretty well-known fact that I'm not a great lover of, of role-play games, but I have watched one of your uh, Twitch streams that you did with... Uh, with Ian's group and I, I was doing some scenery in the background just listening along didn't really engage in the chat but I, I have to admit I enjoyed watching it and just seeing them constantly mess up and do stupid <laughs> things and even I'm sitting there going no don't do that <laughs> I, I think the the biggest thing that D&D struggles to get across is that it is a spectrum at one end of it you've got the drama students who are fully acting their character with voices and everything yeah and at the other, it is a tabletop board game with very strict rules and you follow them exactly. And you don't have to engage with the pretending to be the person if you don't want to. And I, there's the whole spectrum in between, of course. I completely agree. And like with the clubs that we that we run, uh, I see so many different um, groups coming in and, and they're all so different. Like you say, you, you could get a group at the back that will be heavily in you know incorporated in their characters and you sort of suddenly see one of them hunched over a table pretending to be a troll and then you look at the other side where it's for example the the one campaign that i've ever been involved in was a star wars one and it was just basically our entire group were non-normal role players you know we were just going at it for a laugh and doing everything we could really to screw over the uh, the dm's fun <laughs> yep. and just trying to ignore everything he was trying to get us to do and uh, yeah, I, I think I think the biggest thing is you have to find both a group of players and a DM that are at least in the vaguely the same area of the spectrum for everyone to enjoy themselves. If someone's wildly out on the other end, then they're not going to have fun, and you're gonna you're gonna grate against each other. But another good reason not to have me in a game. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day we we will convert you. <laughs> you will try. So like Anakin Skywalker now. <laughs> I have the high ground. <laughs> you underestimate my power. <laughs> so obviously you've got a wide uh, wide spectrum of games that you play, be it digital and board and tabletop games. But what actually got you into gaming in the first place when you were a wee lad? Uh, we're not Scottish there, don't <laughs> But Board gaming, it would have been the, the standard family games, Mousetrap, Monopoly, Totopoly, Go for Broke... Um, Rummy Cub, which is a weird sort of maths problem-solving puzzle-ish game, which uh, I still wind my wife up with every uh, Christmas because they insist on playing it. <laughs> it's it's kind of the thing now, isn't it? It's like Picturing, Monopoly, Scrabble and Cluedo have to come out of Christmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then promptly get put in the bin. <laughs> Although that now that has been supplanted as well by... For, uh, not Formula D... Um, 
Downforce? Downforce, that's it. The, great the racing game. game that's worth having. <laughs> great game. From what I've never played Formula D, from what I've understand, it's a really good game if you've got the equivalent of an actual Grand Prix to play. It, it's a really nice concept. And I think if you had a full group of people that knew exactly what they were doing and were on the ball, you'd manage it in a manageable timescale. Otherwise, yeah, you need a full Grand Prix's worth of time to play three laps. I yeah. have played a two-lap race, having two cars each with two other people, so six cars on the field, during the Monaco Grand Prix one year. The Monaco Grand Prix finished before we finished our two laps. <laughs> Fun game. <laughs> Whereas, by contrast, downforce, you can finish that in... 20 minutes, half hour. Yeah. And it's always it's always so much fun. People always think they've won that within minutes and lose horrendously. Yes. And those that are about to give up can win. Yes. It's all about everyone. Everyone's involved and you can purposely make someone win that game just uh, to annoy them. Especially with some of the additional track packs they've got. There's they're sort of single lanes that you can go down yeah. there or a shortcut. But if someone goes down there and then just stops, you're stuck. Yeah. There's nothing uh, you can do. I've got to admit, I really like, because they've uh, recently announced another map pack that's coming out, and there's so many new elements on those boards. I just can't wait for that to turn up so that we can crack that out and actually see how it changes the game. Yeah. Because um, my, my hope is that they're not going to go too far the other way. You know, They're not going to make it too difficult by adding so much stuff into the game. But if, even if they do, as long as it's an optional extra map pack that you don't have to have, then that's fine. Exactly. So last week on the show, with um, going through the documentary, we covered that diversity in uh, in tabletop gaming is actually quite far behind the curve. But I understand you have another gripe on this. Um, so I suffer from a form of I would call it color blindness, although most people's perceptions of uh, color blindness are the name's a bit misleading. Um, so just some background on that: you you're not completely blind to all color. For the most part, there is a one specific kind of color blindness that where you are completely blind to color. But for the most people, um, it's a problem with specific uh, colors. So there's three types: uh, deuteranopia, which is greens and reds you suffer with, and you can't see the greens properly. Yeah. Um, it's it's again it's a scale, so you can either not see them at all, or as you get nearer to the boundary between green and red, they'll start looking like the other one when they're not. Um, there's protanopia, which is where red looks like green, and then the other one, which is pretty rare, is tritanopia, which is blues and greens and yellows and reds. Um, that one's pretty rare. But a lot of games obviously use colour to sort of signify types of card or uh, even the pieces. The pieces normally aren't so much of a problem, yeah. but um, the, the types of cards you're using. And board games, for the most part, actually do it really well because they'll use the color and then they'll normally reinforce it with something else there'll be a shape like all the red cards will be yeah, a hexagon a and all the yellow cards will be a, or something like that. yeah they'll have a little symbol that goes with it so uh, game of thrones for example you could have the house symbol and the vast majority of board games do take that into account there's a few that don't um we were playing one i can't even remember what it's called or if we want to say the name of it because it's uh swear word related it was the one i mentioned that i played last week it's f asterisk asterisk k and it is, it is a game designed around... Yeah, from, um, from the ground up, colour recognition is built into that. It's If the colour of the word is black, you say what the word is spelt out. But if the colour of the word is not black, you say what the colour is, not what the word says. Mm. And there's a few other exceptions. 
So, but, you, yeah, go so you don't remember last week we pointed out that a colorblind person won it. Mal is your man. <laughs> to, to be fair, I, uh, using a word that uh, Ian loves, I was super tryharding my absolute best concentration level to not mess that up. <laughs> and I was a complete opposite where my brain was completely fried before we'd even jumped into that game. Yeah. No difference there then, really. No. <laughs> it, it didn't help that they did an example with sort of three colours. So my brain went, okay, those are the three colours I need to be able to tell apart, sort of mm. lock them in. Then up strolls orange. I'm like, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> that doesn't look, is that lime green? No, that's orange. Oh, okay. That's, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no one told me that was there. It was the equivalent of not having all the rules explained. That's a good trait of your wife. Yeah, that's how she wins the first attempt at any game we play. <laughs> it's the only attempt she'll win. So you'd actually... I'm in trouble for that one. <laughs> so you'd actually say that um, tabletop game games as a whole do a pretty good job of catering for people that do yes, suffer with. Yes, we'll they... just use the term colour blindness for yeah, yeah. ease of sake. It's, it's what but... most people recognise the term as. Yeah. So. Um, but how do you find that with the digital side of things? Because I'd imagine that that's not as easy for them to incorporate. So it, most games nowadays will try and do something. So... The, the worst example I can always think of is one of the newer Battlefield games. Mm. The enemy are red, your team are blue, except for the people in your squad, which are green. So you spend your entire time friendly firing the people you are one closest to and two probably in comms with. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and even if friendly fire is turned off, you'll, like, you'll throw a grenade at them and so you've wasted something that you could yeah. have used for other things. It's just frustrating. I can imagine that uh, um, adds some... Uh... Choice words in the yeah. voice chat, um, and and like someone will go, oh, he's behind the red car. There's a green, red, blue, yellow, <laughs> and purple car over there. So unless it's a yellow school bus, you yeah. kind of don't really know what's going on. <laughs> yes, um, the the people I play with regularly have started adapting their instructions to be not color based normally, <laughs> or they'll say it and then they'll they'll give the the male friendly version afterwards. Um, you just hear benefit. the pause afterwards. Yeah. Like, oh, oh wait, I'm playing with him. It's like getting secondhand information though that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It's it's still not as bad as he's over there, which is, <laughs> which is a fan favourite of certain people. I've not uh, played with you yet. <laughs> no. Wait till squadrons hit, man. I mean, you, you've airsofted. He's behind the tree. We're in a forest. Yeah, yeah. Which tree exactly? We the green one. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. Behind the bush. Yeah. Yeah. The okay. one with the twig. He's <laughs> the one with the gun. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, heard them all heard them all <laughs> I mean so through the YouTube I've, I've had close contact with certain developers I won't say any names and some of the art teams are a little snobby about it they're like oh but that, if we change that that'll affect the uh, the artistic merit of mm. what we're trying to create and it's like I'm not asking you so going back to Battlefield again you've got obviously military uniforms yeah and I mean, by their very nature, they're meant to be quite difficult to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you struggle to tell them apart, it's like, okay, I can see them not making one bright red because it kind of really yeah, does break yeah. the immersion. But when I look at them and they've got a glowing name above their head, what difference to the gameplay does it make whether that is red or another colour that I can see? Yeah. Um, and the best example I've got is Planetside 2, who have three factions. One's red, one's blue, one's purple. And they went, here's an RGB colour wheel. Make them whatever you like. 
So yeah. I went, okay, I want the purple one to be yellow. Everything that was purple changes to yellow. Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't change the game. Yeah, it, I can't imagine the coding on that would be all that difficult to implement either. Nope, because the, they'll be setting a RGB value for colour somewhere yeah. in there thing you know yeah. even if they just exposed it so modders did it after the fact mm. that would be it'd go some way to helping yeah i mean one of my favorite series is the turtle war series and for a while they suffered in that you have a mini map that shows where your units are and where the enemy units are and the enemy units were red rectangles or diamonds or you know whatever yeah, yeah. but when which is fine when you're in a snowy map as soon as you go on a grassy plain oh i've been snuck up on because i couldn't see where the the marker was on the mini map yeah it's like oh where did these units from behind just appear <laughs> from oh okay so yeah it does sound like there is a bit of room for improvement really when it yes. comes to the digital side of things i can yeah the, the digital side of things needs a big improvement and tabletop the vast majority of them either are aware and do do something about it or just because of the nature of the game mm. design and the way game design happens on tabletop and board gaming yeah. they they fix it themselves yeah i've noticed even um recent games uh, we were playing the kickstarter live for pugs in mugs um only the other night and it's a color-based game you know collecting sets of colors yeah. but they all have a shape to match each color and it's specifically mentioned in the rules as well you yeah. know to help and it's nice to see things like that yeah it's uh it's great to see that tabletop wise they are definitely catering for that kind of stuff you know we like i said we covered last week after watching the uh, tabletop documentary that they highlighted in that that diversity isn't really catered for as well as it should be yeah within the tabletop genre and we'd never really thought about it that way but actually it does it does show you know when when you do get a game and it's it's character based you'll have four male characters and one female so yeah it, it's the equality and diversity within tabletop it, it does leave a lot to be desired but it does show that they are clearly on the right path by catering for color blindness and things like that yeah i mean it's an accessibility issue it's it affects i think it's about eight to ten percent of men and um half a percent of women mm. um but women are the carriers of it so if if you do get a woman with color blindness all of her sons are guaranteed to be color blind yeah so you know it's a reasonable portion of your your potential sales. Yeah. You know you're nearing ten percent. Yeah, definitely. So it's uh, it's definitely something they needed to they yeah. needed to get on pretty for, quickly for, for something that does, doesn't really change your game particularly. It's a, a small addition to your design phase when you're you're deciding what colors and shapes you want your various tiles and cards and pieces to be. So I've obviously had the opportunity to know you for a long time. And I've seen your vast gaming collection. You've got quite a lot to choose from. What are your favourite tabletop games and why? Okay, so favourite tabletop game, I think, would still have to be Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> with certain expansions added and certain expansions not added. So that's, that's actually an interesting uh, thing you say there. Because again, it's one of the episodes we've done recently, which was whether you were to, you know, would buy a new game versus an expansion. Mm-hmm. And then once you know an expansion is out, how you feel about the base game itself? Like, do you is that you say that you you really like that game? But yep. say for example, the expansions you like never came out, would it still be your favorite game, it, or is it the expansion that's made it? Your it favorite it game? would still be my favorite game. But what it does is whoever ends up as the Cylon has more choice and flexibility. Uh, and yes, Ian is the Cylon at least 70% of the time, despite <laughs> yeah, yeah. it not even being statistically likely. 
So I mean, I've never played uh, played that game myself, but I'm going to guess it's like a social deduction type game. Um, um, so like Secret Hitler sort of thing. Kind of, yes. So the first half of the game, because um, it's it's split into halves. You're given out um, a loyalty card, and there's a chance one of them will, or more, depending on how many players you've got, will say Cylon, and you're trying to actively sabotage the rest of the people trying to you know get the ship to the end but then halfway through another round of those cards goes out so people that were human now suddenly find themselves silent on the other side Mm. Um, but the bit that makes it more difficult than certain other games that follow that sort of scheme is the cylons don't know who each other are either Right, and unless they actively reveal themselves, so okay. you're you're trying to work out like even if you know you're the Cylon and you're trying to sabotage things, you're also trying to find ways to determine who the other Cylon is and then try and work together. But you can end up sort of sabotaging yourself by chucking someone in the brig, for example. And you, if you've actively found the other Cylon, you're like, oh, yeah, uh, we've done that before. I mean, uh, I think what was the best example was I think. It was... You passed me the Cylon card using one of the abilities, and so we—I was the Cylon President Admiral, and then between us we had a raft of cards that just meant you're in jail, you're in jail, you're in jail, <laughs> you're on your own, and there's nothing you can do about it. Because <laughs> the basis of that game is you have a lot of skill checks to basically keep the ship going and um, complete missions to try and get enough your ship to jump to somewhere safe. So obviously. The idea of the Cylons is to mess up all the skill checks repeatedly, which is harder than it sounds. Yeah, so there, there's, uh, I think they're called crisis. Yeah. Um, there's a crisis that you have to pass, and it will require, I think it's normally there's two or three colours that count towards it, and two or three colours that go against it. Um, and so the Cylons want to play the cards that go against it, but they need to be careful not to play so many that they reveal they're doing it because the board itself will also play a couple of cards in. So there's always an element of where you're not sure if the Cylon's really there or not. If suddenly there's three cards against it, you know the Cylon's done something. Yeah. Um, And if some of the other people have not taken part, that narrows down who could possibly be the Cylon. And then that's where all the social deduction stuff starts coming in. But that that halfway point really just kicks it and goes, right, everything you thought you knew, you now have to reassess because (laughs) it could all have changed. Nice. So um, that's obviously your favourite game. But what what other games do you you Um, currently like? So I I haven't had too much chance to play it, but I really like the Crusader Kings board game. Um, I think it does a really good job of replicating the video game without just being a copy of it like it it stands on its own as a good board game yeah but if you know what the video game is about you can see enough elements in there that you're like ah yeah that makes the same feel there were some quite good easter eggs as well wasn't there yeah so one of the cards is glitter hoof which is a horse (laughs) um i can't remember where the sort of the, the origin of it was but i think it might have been one of the developer diaries or one of the developer live streams um it was either a bug or something else, but they managed to get it so that they married the horse and the horse was their their spouse in the game. Yeah. And it's meant to be about sort of the dynasties of medieval <laughs> Europe. And it's like, well, you're not going to have any children now. You've married a horse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, so always they... remember, I always remember doing that on like Fable, uh, yeah, the Fable games, <laughs> just yep. sort of marrying about 10 different people yes. in every town. But they, so they, they put that in. So that's an optional card you can play. Um, but what other games? I really like Spartacus. 
Mm. Um, that I think the main feature I like about that is that you can scale how long you want the game to be. Yeah. You, you so you have you're the Dominus. You're sort of in charge of your own little gladiator school. Yeah. Um, and you have a certain amount of influence. And some of the cards you want to play, you can only play if you've got enough influence. So if you want a shorter game, you all start with higher influence, which means you can all play those cards earlier. Yeah. Um, and you win when you get to the maximum amount of influence. So it shortens the duration of the game, which is something that a lot of these games sort of struggle with. It's they're, they're two to three hour games and you don't always have that long. Exactly. I, I would love to see uh, variable length games actually introduced a lot more. Yes. Um We've we... already talked about one of them earlier, which was uh, Formula D. I would love to see a scaled-down version, but then do I need to because we've got downforce? But, I mean, with Spartacus, we've played it quite often and not on the shorter games due to constraints with the group times and stuff. Yeah. Um, even a shorter game can sometimes expand to, like, an hour plus. Yes. So we've always looked at it. If we want to... One day we will actually set aside an entire day to have a crack at that on the full-length yeah, because what you can do is if you don't have enough influence to do the card yourself, you can sort of barter with one of the other players to let you do it in exchange for yeah. whatever. Um, and so that the the lower you start, the more that sort of social back and forth is going to have to go on because you, you get something out of helping, but you don't want them to get too far ahead. So then yeah. the alliances will start swinging around the table. Which is um, very thematic for the show and yes. as well. So one thing I did pick up on what you were saying just now is um, obviously talking about games that have transposed over from being digital to board games. And we recently had the announcement of the Frostpunk Mm -hmm. board game. How do you actually feel that that generally works as a rule when it goes from digital to board game? I, I feel it depends what they try and do with it. If they just try and make a copy of the video game... Depends on the video game, but quite often it will just sort of fall down because the mechanics aren't the same. Yeah. Um, if they kind of take it as an inspiration and run on a different tangent with it or focus in on a, a very specific part of the video game, then it works quite a bit better. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've got the Kickstarter for Company of Heroes coming later this year, so I guess we'll see how well that one transposes yeah. from um, from the video game. But um, Crusader Kings did it well. Um, uh, there's a few of them that have just sort of flopped. Yeah, I, I am sort of looking forward to the Frostpunk one. I know. I mean, I'm going to come at that with a, a neutral head purely because I've not actually played the digital version of it. However, from what I've seen, the reaction online is that they seem to have captured the essence of the game at the, at the very least. So that will be an interesting one when that hits Kickstarter in about two weeks' time, I believe that that comes out. So. There's another one that's caught my eye as well is um, early this year, I think it was, or late last year, there was a City Skylines cooperative game released that's supposed to have had quite a good backing towards it. Again, time and life have just meant I haven't been able to have a look at that yet, but that's definitely high on my list to actually have a try at. I always wonder if video games that are in real time as opposed to turn-based possibly make better board games because they have to innovate on them mm. and go for the feel and not the direct copy yeah whereas if you've got a turn-based video game it's kind of easy to just go ah we'll steal half of that yeah and just lock these bits off and then you've got a, a half-baked version of the video game dump a load of miniatures at it and we'll be fine <laughs> so it just goes back to that age-old argument is of taking a game that's been designed and slapping an ip all over it you know 
I mean, there's no real love for the original game in there. It's just uh, oh well, this is a this is a name that people know, so we'll slap that on the game. You can sort of see it going the other way as well. So Blood Bowl was obviously a, a tabletop game, and they've made it into a video game. And the yeah. the version that sticks to the uh, sort of turn based sort of style plays nicely. But the real time attempt they had to go it was. I didn't take off. No, no. Um, it wasn't the same. No, um, and I think a lot of it may have been that they just didn't have the AI coding skills, maybe to make it different and yeah. work. Um, there was, it was too easy to sort of exploit and cheese a little bit. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Almost feels like they, you know, somebody came to them with a game, or a company went bankrupt and they bought the, you know, the coding for a game and went, oh well, we'll just. Put some orcs and yeah, <laughs> but but then they did do the side that replicates the tabletop almost perfectly, yeah. and, and that part is great. I mean, I absolutely love Blood Bowl. Um, we we did a, a sort of a, an internal little league on it, um, where we randomised who everybody's team was going to be out of the list, mm. and ended up with halflings and goblins with about two people left on the field and just corpses everywhere and. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, everyone raging rather ridiculously as the uh, the final halfling got lobbed down the pitch for the the winning goal in the last turn. <laughs> the one question I, I do have, um, switching over from tabletop games to the digital platform, and you know, going on to what you've done with the Twitch streaming and the YouTube streaming, how how did you find that? Like, obviously, you've sort of already given us a rough idea of what got you into it in the first place. Mm-hmm. But how? Yeah, when you were asked to start doing it, how how did you find it? Was it sort of a bit alien, or you weren't really sure if you wanted to? I mean, so at at school, I was not particularly great at presenting or particularly outgoing. And I think you you go back to those early videos, you will clearly see that. Um, and from there, it's developed, and I've got a lot more confident in what I'm saying, and I think thinking on my feet a lot better as I go. I still will focus my channel on certain games like strategy games where I can explain what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and less on sort of fast-paced um, sort of racing first-person shooters because it's all very reactionary. Um, it's quite difficult yeah. to give a interesting commentary, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so what are your favourite games to try and stream? Or what is, what's currently... On your your streaming list, uh, so you, there there is actually a shooter on there, which is Escape from Tarkov, um, but that's a much slower paced compared to say something like Call of Duty, um, more methodical tactical thinking kind of shooter. Um, you can see your skills come out when I've seen you playing that. It's actually interesting to watch someone thinking through the process of where's the right place to be. How do I position myself? Have I got the right gear? Rather than just, oh, what do I need to grab off the floor? What do I need to do? Yeah. You know. So so to, to, to give some explanation, because I'm sure it's a game most people won't have heard of, it's you, you get dropped into a map and the equipment you've brought in with you, if you were to die, you drop it. So there's an element of people are kind of wary about going a bit too gung-ho because they do have something to lose. Mm. Um, while you're in there you can sort of scavenge stuff that's around and take it and bring it out with you anyone else you kill you can take their stuff and obviously bring that out with you Um, but you've got to try and make it to an exit which is nearly always the opposite side of the map Um, and there'll be um, say for example there's 20 people there'll be 10 spawning on one side of the map and 10 spawning on the other so you're guaranteed to have these sort of two waves meet in the middle 
Yeah. Um, and it means that if you want to go to the places with the best loot, that's obviously going to attract the most people. So do you try and rush there first and get it before them because you've spawned closest? Yeah. Or do you take it slow, let them loot the place, and as they come out, then take them out and just pick up the backpack and walk off into the sunset? <laughs> Um, it's definitely the best move. Yeah, it, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's a lot of options and and sort of tactics. And the the what I like about it as well as the uh, TTK time to kill is pretty low. Mm. Um, you know, one shot and the headshot, they're gone. It doesn't matter what what ammo you're using. Yeah, it's not. Oh, it's a pistol. It's really weak. You need three shots. No, it's no. if you get shot in the face, that's it. It's over. Yeah. Um, but equally, if you're wearing... a gun is a gun, you get yeah. shot in the face, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, much. if you're wearing stupidly thick armor and they're shooting hunting rounds or you know sporting rounds that are designed for target shooting, because that's all they could afford to buy, it's just going to bounce off because you're wearing military grade armor. Yeah, um, but that slows you down. It costs you money if you lose, like if you die, you lose it. So yeah. you've got this constant sort of risk reward going on. Yeah, got a nice amount of realism to that though. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so that's the first person shooter. Then more in the strategy side of things, you've got uh, Total War. They've just released their new Troy game. So that that's sort of there. There's Crusader Kings 3 coming out, which I'm sort of gearing up for. Um, I did a, a year-long 63-episode playthrough as Ireland wow. in Crusader Kings 2. As It started off as a, this is how I'm going to learn the game and how I'm going to show other people you know, what I learn as I learn it. Um, and it turned into owning a single county in the northwest of Ireland to, at the end, owning the whole of Ireland, Scotland, England, Spain, most of France, um, and then taking that forward into their next game in their series when it just went on from there. Well, I'm pretty sure you could probably do a better job of uh, running this country than uh, are currently. <laughs> <laughs> but, We're going to um, get closed down for saying that. <laughs> yeah. he's, at, he's at the door now. Um, but when, when the new edition of that... Doorbell. <laughs> When the when the new edition of that comes out, I'll be trying to sort of recreate that. I think I I will pick the same person in the same place and see where I can get to. Yeah, sounds good. So what um what what days do you stream? How do people find you? If, should they want to watch you stream? So the the long streams are Thursday um, from three thirty uh, UK time till nine pm, and Saturday from eight in the morning till midday one pm ish. Um, and then during COVID, I also do um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and Friday as well from 3.30 till about 6. Um, so you've got Twitch on uh, twitch.tv slash Malakadskadi. Or you can go on the YouTube channel where most of the content from the live streams is uploaded. Same same username. Um, nice. Not everything makes it there because uh, Escape from Tarkov, for example, <laughs> it, if it's a three hour stream, there may be little snippets that are worth watching back later. Yeah. Without the tension and the sort of the the ongoing sort of being their live feel to it, um, so a few of those just don't sort of make it. If you know you don't want to have a video of me laying on a rock waiting for someone to come by so I can finish my sniper quest. <laughs> well, I don't was... know about that. That sounds riveting to me. <laughs> that was great fun. I hijacked your chat at one point, Drew. Let's talk about Armada because everyone was <laughs> oh, yeah. sitting there looking at this this open field because the the quest I needed to do was a headshot on a. A player, so not one of the AI, from over a hundred meters away. <laughs> so there's very few places you can go, and I'm yeah. so laying there watching this very specific spot, and nobody comes there. <laughs> so you know the chat's talking about books, and, and then he shows up with Armada. We were talking about Star Wars and our favorite <laughs> ship, and you know that, that's that's great in Twitch where people can engage and ask questions, mm. but it does not make good YouTube content. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, we're uh, we're we're really grateful that you came in because you know it's great just to talk everything that happens within the community. Uh, be it that you're far more digital based nowadays. Obviously, you've still got your tabletop tie-ins as well, and we will get you playing some more games with us soon. <laughs> um, well, I need to rope you guys into uh, Company of Heroes when that comes, because uh, Ian won't play anything but the co-op version. So, <laughs> yeah, I don't know we what all know Ian loves his co-op. <laughs> I, I did add the co-op additional pack specifically for Ian. Yes, but that's because you always win. <sighs> So, just because we haven't touched on this and it's pure God, we, 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 we've danced around this subject. Mal has the nickname Captain Tryhard because he purposely doesn't try to win most games, just sort of casually bumbles along in them and wins everything without fail. <laughs> Shrugging. Even to the point we went to a gaming convention. He refused to enter a competition, so we entered in into it and he won first prize. <laughs> Came back with a massive Fallout statue in yeah, the process, which which they announced first. So I thought I'd won third prize, and was sort of like, ah, I'm not really bothered. So, sort of sauntered up, and then they're like, "Here, giant statue." I'm like, the "Oh." Best bit of that though was them trying to pronounce Malekith Scardi. <laughs> yes, I mean, I'm going to blame your handwriting because I didn't write it. But uh, yeah, they they struggled with that one. That moment we see your face when you realised you'd won though that was priceless. That was worth it. I can totally understand that, though, because as I'm sure most people have figured out, I have deliberately avoided referring to your uh, to your name because I am awful at pronunciation. <laughs> After last week's uh, talking about the documentary, and I butchered pretty much every single game designer's name. Look, look if you want bad naming, watch any of my playthroughs for any game you can give me counties in ireland i'll get them wrong you can give me provinces in japan they are all horribly off topic um and then you you go to the middle of africa asia just anywhere just i don't know how to pronounce those what even is that letter <laughs> this, this is why we live in the united you know the united kingdom where names are easy to easy you know crawly it's... You say that. I think there are plenty of names around the United Kingdom that this are horrendous true. to try and pronounce. Well, I mean, point Loughborough at anybody. <laughs> yeah, this is true. I only know that one because there's a heritage railway there. So yeah. I know that one properly. <laughs> well, you have to start somewhere. This is very true. Very true. But then Wales strolls up and goes, hey, look at our train station. <laughs> yeah. If I ever go on holiday to Wales and I have to go there by train rather than being driven there. Thank you, Ian. I am never going to get to the right station because I am not going to have a clue where I'm going. I'm not going to be able to ask. And it's you're not going to understand a word the announcements are going to say. Exactly. I'll have one ticket to the long-named one, please. Yeah. <laughs> oh, which one? Oh, uh, let's guess. Uh, eeny, meeny, miny, mo. That one. <laughs> Is there a hotel near there? Sorted. <laughs> How do you pronounce the hotel? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> where are you staying? Uh, here? Point at menu. That's that where you, one. Where you download, what, three words and just... Giving give the three uh, or your GPS coordinates. I'm staying here. <laughs> yeah, come find exactly. me. <laughs> so yeah, thank you very much for coming in. It's been a pleasure having you and and hearing some some of your stories, some of your backstories, etc. Uh, hopefully, if you guys have enjoyed it, go and check out his Twitch streams. Go and check out his YouTube. I'm sure he'll love to have you over there. Go and subscribe. Give him a thumbs up on every single video. It really helps with the YouTube algorithms. You will never hear me say, like, subscribe, and smash that bell. Not once. That is the only time I think I have ever said it. And we've got it on tape. Yes. We're going to copy and paste that over and over again. Thank you very much for coming on. Is there anything else you want to add? Let anybody know 
any more details if you want to re-say your Twitch names and all that kind of stuff, where people can find you? Uh, I imagine the easiest way would probably be in the text description of whatever method you have picked up this podcast from. Um, then we don't have to worry about spelling it wrong. That is a very good point. I will get Ian to do the spelling for this one. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I went to school with him. You don't want to do that. <laughs> we might send it over to you for this. <laughs> But no, thank you very much for coming in, guys. We are going to hand over to our man in the news shed now. Paul, over to you. So they said, get back in the shed and do as you're bloody told. I mean, I'm sitting here all week waiting for this light to come on and start recording. It's getting a bit... Oh, shit, the light's on. Oh, oh. Hello, meeples. Welcome back to the fabulous newsroom, as I give you the fantastic news that's come under the shed door this week. We're starting with an update to last week's news on the Masters of the Universe franchise and its tabletop future. After Simon's announcement of a He-Man board game back in May coming to Kickstarter in early 2021, the upcoming RPG Legends of Greyskull also in 2021, and the inbound Netflix series, comes the announcement that Archon Studios will be releasing Masters of the Universe Fields of Eternia to Kickstarter later this year. If you're confused, join the club two games, both heading for Kickstarter. On further investigation, Simon have been given the creation and publishing rights by Mattel to Masters of the Universe in North America, South America and throughout Asia, which apparently left the European market open for negotiation, which is where we believe Archon Studios have jumped in, which still leaves a little confusion over the matter, are they the same game? The timetables seem to disagree. Archon Studios are responsible for games like Chronicle X, Vanguards of War and its recent Kickstarter project for the board game interpretation of the video game Wolfenstein. Neither company are giving away too much about their projects, but Archon Studios have been the first to give away some tantalising snippets. Miniatures within the Fields of Eternia will be 32mm scale, come on scenic bases and expectedly come in some dramatic and dynamic poses. Iconic heroes and villains from both He-Man and indeed She-Ra and friends will be playable as you either fend off the forces of evil from Castle Greyskull or indeed lay siege with Skeletor, Hordak and all of their minions. Even if you can't wait until the Kickstarter later this year, over on the Archon Studios web store right now is your chance to purchase a limited edition He-Man, a stride battle cat, standing at 57mm tall. Limited to 2000? Well, 1998 after I jumped in, they are certainly flying out the door. With Skeletor and Panthor expected shortly, these minis will come with their own unique rules within the game and we're told won't be available outside these limited supplies. Other notes for the upcoming Kickstarter suggest custom dice as well as Castle Greyskull Dice Tower. Of course, with the Masters of the Universe being close to many of our hearts, we'll bring you more news as and when we receive it. Ram Man and Buzzoff were always my favourite characters. Who are your favourites? Leave us a comment. Fans of Root, who can't get it to the table at the moment, can rejoice in the fact that it's now available via the PC video game store Steam in its early access form. As it's early access, it means that although it's not the final version of the game, updates in the future will be forthcoming. This video game version of Root features the four core factions found in the original asymmetric board game. Will you choose to take control of the resource management based marquee faction, the push your luck Eerie Dynasty, 
strategy-driven Woodland Alliance or the quest-focused Vagabonds. They will have an entirely different experience with each faction you play as whilst fending off interventions from your opponents. Challenge both your friends online via split screen or take on the AI in the single player mode. The digital version of Root is developed and released by Direwolf, a publisher best known for co-creating the digital releases for Renegade Games Studios' Clank, a deck-building adventure, and Garp Hill Games' Raiders of the North Sea. It's currently available in early access on Steam for a retail price of £11 or $14. For fans of designer Alexander Pfister, he's helped design a new board game alongside Arno Steinwender. Cloud Age is a strategy game set in a dark and dystopian world for one to four players. Alexander Pfister has designed great staple titles like Great Western Trail, Maracaibo and Kenner Spiel de Jar winners Broom Service and Isle of Sky. With Arno Steinwender responsible for Grecian sailing game Ducalion and Dice Roller Take It or Leave It. Excuse pronunciation on that. Humanity has taken to the skies in airships after a secret society set fire to the world's countless oil fields and their forests resulting in an environmental catastrophe. Years later you hunt for a better life by visiting cities, sending out drones for resources and searching for new crew, all whilst defending yourself against the cloud militia. Cloud Age is a mix of engine building, deck building and resource management. As a campaign system, it's easy to start playing quickly with new elements being introduced into the game as players progress through the chapters. While you play, you also experience and help guide the story, or if you prefer, you can always play standalone story spin-offs as single scenarios. The release date for Cloud Age is currently set for this autumn, with a retail price yet to be confirmed. We're going to shoot on over to Kickstarter now. Streets, the successor to Sinister Fish's highly acclaimed game Villagers, is heading to Kickstarter on the 1st of September. Streets is a tile-laying game where players build a city together. Each building has a simple valuation formula which earns money for the owner when the street is scored. The city was once a small and insignificant town, but the affordable properties have attracted artists, startup companies and families. Players are investors, creating attractive new streets in the growing city, investing in the new businesses and their homes. Some streets will become hotspots for hipsters, others will be dominated by tourists or families with children, all seeking their own preferred building type. Cleverly located properties can benefit the growing crowds of people who further increase the value of the buildings they visit. Valuations are affected by the other buildings in the street, so smart placement is essential to maximise profit. Optional expansion modules add powerful asymmetric player abilities and extra layers of strategy and tough decisions. The game is for 1-5 to five players, takes 30-60 to 60 minutes and again is on Kickstarter on the 1st of September. Also heading to Kickstarter on the 1st is The Pet Cemetery, an exciting pet monster themed tabletop board game for 2-6 to six players that is easy to learn, family friendly and is great for parties and games nights. Players use strategy, planning and educated guesses to outwit their opponents and be the first to capture the professor. The game board tiles and game cards include a variety of actions that allow players to spawn, move pet monsters into the path of their opponents, search for treasure, keep themselves safe from attacks, jump over obstacles, skip opponents' turns and cheat as they navigate the way across the board and attempt to hinder the progress of their opponents. Additionally, each player is randomly dealt one of ten unique character cards offering their own unique rule-breaking abilities. Do you have what it takes to win the pet cemetery? In about 30 to 45 minutes. 
Stone Sword Games brings the iconic Hogs of War video game to the tabletop on September the 3rd, with Hogs of War a miniatures game. That's right, take control of a bovine army as it's translated into an outlandishly fun skirmish board game. Featuring 32 miniatures in the box, over 50 custom dice and unique base building system, you're able to play out hundreds of different scenarios using the fully modular Battlefield board. This can be part of the campaign mode included, or make your own via sandbox mode. All the classes from the original game make an appearance, from the grunts to spies and beyond. So build your tanks, take to the sky in biplanes and blimps as you try to handle evolving situations, outsmarting your opponents and making best use of the terrain. That's out on the 3rd of September for 1-4 to four players and aiming to take 60-90 to 90 minutes to complete. Well, that's all from the shed this week. I'm going to go before they take any more stars off my good behaviour chart. Speak to you next week. Take care and stay safe, meeples. Well, thank you very much for that uh, very interesting outburst there, Paul. And uh... and now it's time to lock you back in the newsroom again. Definitely. Lock him back in the newsroom. Put the new padlock on the door. Don't let him out until he brings us some more news next week. That's all from us this week, guys. We are going to sign off. If you have enjoyed what we have done here today, please do consider giving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Hit the five stars if you really liked it. Share and subscribe to get the content out there to more people's ear holes. And as per usual, we'll be around on the Discord server as well, especially on the Monday nights when we have our, um, our weekly meets. If you'd like to contact us, you can find us on all of our social media sites. You've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter by searching for the podcast Recruiter Gaming Community. Or you can email us at community at gmail.com. That's all from us, guys. We're signing off now. Thanks very much. We'll see you next week. Have a great day. Bye-bye.